My apologies. Uh, I'm a little ill today. It's all good. We'll see how I sound about 20 minutes from now. Um, but I'm feeling good. I'm feeling, uh, I'm feeling much better than I was 15 minutes ago. So um, we're going we're gonna to go through this, and I'm going to trust God. Uh, I'm going to do my best and then trust God for the rest. Um, so please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. The New Testament has four Gospels, the book of Acts, then that big letter to the Romans, and then two big letters to Corinthians, and then four letters in the middle of the Pauline corpus, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, which I remember by thinking about gas and electric power company. Other people say, go eat popcorn. So we're going to be electric today. Boogie, woogie, woogie. I want to take us um, a little bit about where we're going to go from here. Uh, first of all, as Caitlin mentioned, we are going to do an Ash Wednesday service in here on Wednesday night. Uh, in the previous years, we have tried it in the morning, um, and it's been going very well. But um, new facility, let's try some, something new, especially since Jason's out of town this year. I thought, let's see if we, you know, uh, more folks would, would be interested in an evening uh, service. So we're going to try that. It'll be 45 minutes. Um, it, it won't be a, a long time, but it will be a time of reflection. Uh, Ash Wednesday is uh, its a time of new beginnings. It can be. It can be a time of repentance. It can be a time of fasting. It can be a time of, um, of, uh, of anticipation about something that is happening in the world, something that has happened and that's something that is happening now. And then we remind ourselves on Ash Wednesday that apart from the renewing spirit of Christ, we are but dust. Um, then next week, we are going to take a little bit of a break, or um, we're going to hesitate our new Lent series, and we're going to, because of the snow, we're going to have to shift things over a little bit. And we're going to have one more uh, sermon series in, or one more sermon in the Speak Lord series next week, where Jason's going to talk to us about life in the community. Today we're talking about life in community. Next week, Jason's talking about life in the community. And then I'm very excited about uh, the rest of Lent. Uh, we're going to be diving into the series called Test, Trust, and Triumph. Um, we are going to be starting off a week late, but we're going to be kicking it off um, with the, the man who was my youth pastor when I was growing up, when I was in high school. Uh, Brian Float is going to be here. Please, I know um, it is the weekend of the women's retreat. That was the weekend that he was available. Um, but uh, if you're not going on the women's retreat, please make every effort to be here that Sunday because Brian is incredible. But today, we are continuing in our series, Speak, Lord, Your Servant is Listening, by talking about life in community. And to do this, we're going to be in Ephesians 4. Now, Ephesians 4, it's like John 20. It's like Romans 8. It's like Colossians 2. It's one of those chapters in the Bibles that just makes your heart race. Because, like, this is what it's all about. We're going to be ambitious this morning and take a look at 16 verses plus 3. It's a lot, but I think it's important for us to look at the whole package and see that in context. So let's dive in. You might see there in Ephesians 4, I therefore. Now, before we go any further... Anytime we see therefore in the biblical text, we need to ask, what is it there for? In this case, it's referring to the first half of the letter of Ephesians, chapters 1 through 3. 
And to summarize the first half of the letter, one trick is you can look at verse 10 in each of Ephesians' first three chapters. Ephesians 1.10. God's plan is to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven and on earth. We must fight against that temptation to separate heaven from, from earth. God intends one world. And in Jesus, this has already begun. Our call as Christians, our call as a community, is to live that out, to anticipate that, to, ex to expect that the same power which raised Jesus from the dead is going to live amongst us. God sees our sin and he sees our pain. He sees our deepest, darkest corners of our souls. And then he looks us in the eye and he says, I love you anyway. In fact, I love you so much that I sent my son Jesus to die for you so that you might have life. Ephesians 2.10, God has created us for good works. All of this is in response to the grace and love of God. We're saved by grace through faith for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. God has prepared work for us to do. He's created us each in the, uh, with unique and different skills, desires, different passions, different opinions, different talents, different tastes. And then he wants us to live out that uniqueness in Christ. We are God's poem. We are his work of art. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ and our sin that was holding us back from being that true work of art is now destroyed. And we are allowed to be what we were created to be and do the work he created us to do. We are invited into that sort of life. And then Ephesians 3.10. Through the culture, uh, through the church, the wisdom of God in its rich variety might now be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, Jesus is Lord, except no substitute. He alone runs this world, and we are transformed through Christ. We, the church, declare God's wisdom and proclaim his rule and reign. This is the background of the I, therefore. But it's also about to get a bit more practical. Specifically, Paul is going to unpack what it means for the church to, to be the church to truly live in community, in fellowship with one another, all of us bringing our unique character to his service and his mighty plan. So, our first slide. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beg you. I mean, already you see that humility in, in Paul. I, therefore, prisoner of the Lord, beg you, to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The first thing Paul asks of us in this passage is to walk in such a way that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And then seeing that calling is our common ground. We're called to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We're called to follow Christ. That's our common ground. 
There's a verse in Colossians that says that Jesus holds all things together. And see, if we have Jesus in common, we have everything in common. Take a look at the picture on the front of your bulletin. It's a picture of a country church. From what little we can see, it's just surrounded by fields. Perhaps with uh, quite a distance between it and its neighbors, let alone it and its the next church closest to it. If you look closely, you might see it's a Catholic church. And if you stared at the picture long enough, you might even be able to speculate a few more details about the people, who the people are who meet there, and what they believe, and how they go about doing what they do. You and I wouldn't need to travel far, actually, to see churches like this. We could get in our cars right now, and we could travel north, or perhaps west, and within an hour, we could find ourselves standing in a church's parking lot just like this. The morning service would have been over by then, and we'd be standing there listening to the silence of the country air. Then we could get back in our car, and we could begin to drive, and within less than an hour, we could find ourselves standing in the parking lot of an urban storefront church, or perhaps a grand cathedral, or a big, big, mega evangelical church. The differing paradigms of all of the various types of Christian churches we could come across in a mile radius could show us those different cultures, different artistic expression, different worship styles, different priorities. But, slide two, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Our first step in learning how to connect the pieces from that country church to ours is to answer the question, who is Jesus? The thing that connects us to that truth, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Ephesians talks about that bond of peace. It's a reminder that all fall short of God's glory, and apart from the renewing spirit of Christ, we are dust. The church of Christ may have differing denominational flavors, but if another group of people in another area of the country or another area of the world bow a knee to my Savior Jesus and call him Lord, they are my brothers and sisters. Though Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, I have come to peace with the God who is above all and through all and in all. The reason why we should be able to make this Episcopal partnership work is because through Christ Jesus, we have everything in common. Apart from Christ, my life amounts to nothing but a pile of ashes. But in Christ, I am a part of God's ecclesia his holy gathering. In Christ, I can do all things because he strengthens me. In Christ, I have seen the victory of God over the powers of evil. In Christ, I have every reason to stand against injustice and poverty and racism and oppression and hunger because Jesus is Lord and he always has been Lord and he always will be Lord. Slide three. But each of us was given grace. This is really cool. According to the measure of Christ's gift. 
Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself captive. He gave gifts to his people. Now, when he says he ascended, what does it mean that he had um, also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. I love that. We've been given grace according to the measure of not our own talents, not our own skills, not our own good works, but Christ's gifts. It was Christ who made captivity itself captive. Um, this is a variation on Psalm 68, which is about the glory of God in his goodness to Israel. And in it, it says, the chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of thousands. The Lord is among them as in Sinai in the holy place. You have ascended on high. You have led captivity captive. You have received gifts among men, even from the rebellious, that the Lord might dwell there. You see, Christ's sacrificial gift, God has through Christ's sacrificial gift, God has declared victory over evil. He has led captivity itself captive. Captivity there, it's personified. Paul is saying that Christ is God's victorious champion. In the ancient world, when a land was taken captive by an invading army, it would stand to reason that the victorious army would receive gifts. But Paul is saying that when Christ is the victorious champion, he receives gifts by giving them to the people so that the people might give them back to him. God is victorious over captivity because of the measure of Christ's sacrifice. The beauty there is that each one of us has something unique to offer. No one else can bring to God's kingdom what you can bring to God's kingdom. This is why it is so important for each of us to spend time in prayer and discernment along with others um, in our community and, and figure out what um, Bill Hybels calls it, holy discontent. What is our holy discontent? As many of you know, I, I have an undergrad degree in history. I needed something to provide an academic foundation level for, uh, for master's level seminary. And I chose history because I've always felt a call to respect and honor and study those who have come before us. Um, maybe so I can learn from their successes and failures, but more importantly, so that I don't lose touch with the grand narrative God is telling. And about halfway through college, I started to wonder, like, what is the measurable thing that I could do to help that process along? And also around that time, I started to notice that every time I got together with friends, with other men specifically, conversations were very surfacy. We rarely talked about anything of substance um, if there weren't women in the room. I felt a holy discontent. I felt a holy discontent that men were losing touch with that grand narrative and also with believing that they too were a part of it. Men's ministry is historically a difficult thing to get going, but how about a men's history club? Next month we're going to celebrate two years of monthly meetings. And it may be a small thing, but I can honestly say that I responded to God's holy discontent, and then I tasted the fruit when I get to meet with these men every month, and I get to hear what they think about history and about God's narrative 
and about how our world has worked out, how our country has been worked out. It's been incredible times. We all have a part to play in God's kingdom. What is it that gives you holy discontent? What will you do with the gift that you were uniquely given? And you see, here it gets really interesting. Next slide. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Read that again. The gifts that he gave, some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and knowledge of the Son of God to maturity to the measure of the full stature of Christ. Now what's an apostle? A messenger, what else? May think one, one who is sent out. Yeah. What's a prophet? What do you think of when you hear the word prophet? A visionary, maybe? Somebody? Bruce? Speaks, speaks well. Speaks truth. Maybe truth into power, truth into a system, perhaps. Now, what's an evangelist? Somebody that goes out and tells the word of God, maybe specifically to make disciples, make to, to proclaim the gospel, I think. Um, and what's a pastor and a teacher? Me? Yeah, the dude up here. So, so here, Paul is describing the church. But, but there's an important principle here that shouldn't go unnoticed. All that time that I spend going to seminary, it, it's not just... For me to learn about how to do ministry so that you all can come on Sunday and then get some religious stuff that I cooked up during the week so that you can go out and um, get that filled up so that, uh, you, that God will like you better. No. My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's you all who are called to go out and be the church at your jobs and your schools and your communities and on your vacations from playgroups to bars. My job isn't to do religious stuff. It's to equip you all to be the church. Richard Hayes wrote a book called The Moral Vision of the New Testament, which, by the way, would be a tremendous book for a house church to study through. In it, he says, ministry is the work of the entire community, not merely a specially designed class of spiritually gifted persons. The interplay of gifts in the church is designed to bring the community as a whole to maturity so that the church might ultimately stand unambiguously as the body of Christ, the complete embodiment of Christ in the world. The imagery of growth suggests that this visionary goal is, to, is not to be understood as a future instantaneous transformation, but as the result of growing together, as the result of a process already underway in the community. Now at New Hope, we do this in various different ways. First of all, we come together on Sundays uh, to worship and have fellowship together as one body, as a local manifestation of Christ's worldwide church. Our doors are always open 
and all are welcome. We'll worship through music and through prayer, through studying the word, and we'll do it together because our goal is to build up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God so that together we can work towards maturity. Why do we make church a regular thing? Because coals get cold when they're away from the fire. So if you're on vacation, or you're out of town on business, or visiting friends or relatives, and it's a Sunday morning, go to church. Experience how others worship and experience different flavors of fellowship. Knowing that God is God there, that if God is God there, God is God here. And if God is God here, God is God there. Sure, it's going to be different. But Ephesians is telling us that what unites us is immeasurably more powerful than what divides us. Second of all, we mature through house churches. If you're here this morning and you're not in a small group, I beg you to consider getting into one. House churches are small groups that meet in homes throughout the week. They eat together, they pray together, they study God's word together. They are, again, local manifestations of Christ's worldwide church. On your bulletin, you'll see the four official New Hope House churches. And if you're not a regular uh, member of one of those groups, you're invited to check them out. Um, but for New Hope membership, we ask that you're involved in a small group. Um, this, of course, might very well be a house church, but it also might be a Bible class, like Women of Hope. It might be a recovery ministry or a small group ministry that's affiliated with even another church. Maybe it's just a group of guys that meet for coffee once a month. The point is that there should be a soul-on-soul connection in a way that is discipling you towards maturity in Christ, discipling each other towards maturity in Christ. Another way we mature through, uh, together is through serving together outside our doors. Uh, last summer, our youth group, The Edge, got to go on a Week of Hope service pit trip to Pittsburgh and meet with all sorts of people from different sorts of, of churches in, um, from around the country. It was an awesome experience. We got to work at after-school programs and sports camps and hospitals um, serving alongside of Episcopalians and Methodists and Yankee fans. And serving together was a great way of building that bond of peace. Because here's the challenge. Next slide. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped. As each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. As important as it is to find our common ground in Christ, the challenge is that we are to be people firmly grounded in the truth. A people who seek God's kingdom and not any other kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, not any other kingdoms of our own making. Through this lens, it's appropriate for us to talk about things like sound doctrine and orthodox theology. 
It's important for us to talk about the character and nature of God as revealed in the scripture. It's important for us to read the Nicene Creed every time we take communion together. It's important to remind each other of the things that we hold as foundational truths. Because the sad thing is, they can be easily forgotten. Life happens and the world will send us messages that seem to offer a truth that is different than the gospel. Because of this, we need each other. We need each other to speak the truth in love and remind each other why we're in this game to begin with. This can be difficult. But it's also so important to gather in community, maybe just one-on-one, and find a safe space where we can speak into each other's lives. Where am I missing the mark? Where am I off message? Are are things like humility and patience evident in, in my life? Am I treating other Christians like they are part of the one church? Have I identified my gifting? Am am I doing business with the gifts and talent that that only I can uniquely bring to God's kingdom? Or am I doing it for selfish reasons? Am I making the necessary choices to aid me in equipping for the ministry? Or am I just trusting that the religious stuff, am I just trusting that religious stuff to someone else? Am I building towards maturity in a way that seeks first God's kingdom but his glory. That, that is why the bond of peace is so precious. That's why we need community. Let me pray for us. Thank you, good Father, for your incredible faithfulness to this community. I thank you for our history, for our ministry, for the work that you've done, not just in us, but through us. I just thank you that we can be here, that we are in a country where this is legal, where this sort of building can be a place that sits in the community and that as we build into each other and as we remind each other of the gospel and equip others for the work of the ministry, that ministry can go outside our doors into our community, serving the poor, preaching the word, sharing the gospel, making disciples of all nations. But for Lord, it needs to begin with us. Help us do business with that sin right now. Help us do business with those areas where we're missing the mark. The places where, gosh, I keep trying, but I've given up doing it of my own power, and I need to be trusted in Jesus' power. Because he alone can walk me through this. He alone can help me with that maturity. And he tells me that he wants to do it through his other people. In the most holy name of Jesus Christ, I ask these things and pray for my brothers and sisters here. Amen.